we did Christos for X, uh, one of the names for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then for Y, we did Yahweh, which is the Old Testament name for the Lord also. So we did those two names. So uh, we come to Z. What do you do with the letter Z in, the, uh, you know, in a biblical lesson? I thought we could talk about zeal or zealous, uh, to be zealous for the Lord. Or we could uh, study Zebedee, Zadok, uh, Zechariah, Zerubbabel. You know, or some people like that. Zion would be good of, of all the subjects. I didn't think you wanted to hear about the people called the Zamzumims, did you? Uh, only mentioned once or twice in the Old Testament. Uh, we don't know much about the Zamzumims. That might be a good name for a Sunday school class, though, you know. What I chose rather to do was the expression in Revelation chapter 1, where Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. And since uh, we are at the letter Z, Omega in the Greek alphabet is the end of their alphabet. That's like saying Z to us. So go to Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, and let me read a few verses here. And we will relate both the words amen, where John puts his final statement on amen, and then Jesus describes himself as the Alpha and the Omega. And we'll look at that for a little bit uh, this morning to kind of end up this series and this study. Now John is beginning his book. He gives all the introductory things about himself and so forth. And uh, then... Um, he is going to say uh, that, he, that he is writing from God the Father, verse 4, and verse 5, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, I'm in verse 5, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Still talking about Jesus Christ, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion, notice forever and ever, amen. And then he says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, every eye shall see him, they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. And again he says, even so, amen. Now notice verse 8, by the way, the first voice then that John hears while he's on the Isle of Patmos first thing he actually hears is verse 8. And what he hears is, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. How would you like to be standing out there on an island that no one else is on? We presume it might, there might have been somebody else there, but you don't expect to hear a voice. <laughs> and you're standing there all alone, and then you hear this voice that sounds like uh, a mighty uh, water speaking to you. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, and I'm the Almighty. Now again, he'll say in verse 11, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. So both the word amen, as John puts that on his statements, and the word omega to us signify the end of things, signify the the coming to the end of something. And I think 
what we want to have in our mind is that when when the Lord, when our Lord assures us that He was there in the beginning, He's also saying, "I'll be there in the end." I'm the I am everything that started it. I'm everything that finishes it. Now, you and I were not there in the beginning. We're created along the way, but we will be there in the end. Uh, isn't this world of ours concerned about who's going to come out on top? You know, who's going to invade who? Who's going to take over whom? Who, who is going to be the final uh, victor of it all? And by Jesus saying, I'm the Omega, I'm the ending of it all. We ought to have the assurance that regardless of what happens to us, what happens in our lifetime, or what happens in the history of the whole world, he will come out the victor in the end. I want to read something to you out of a book that, that I've been reading this week that gives this illustration. Um, all of my life in reading uh, church history and Baptist history, I, uh, people would refer to a historian named J.M. Cramp, C-R-A-M-P, like getting a cramp in your leg or something. And I would hear that name quoted and, and the history from him quoted, but I never saw his book. And I was in a used bookstore, and on the markdown section, I come, and look how pretty that is. I mean, this, even though he lived in the 1800s, and this was first published in the 1860s, this obviously is a reprint of that done in a beautiful way. And there it was for a couple bucks, J.M. Cramp's Baptist History. And so I thought, great, that's a, you know, I've been looking for one of those. So I bought it and uh, had it sitting on my desk at home with some others and thinking, I'll, I'll get around to these sometime. So I thought, this is the time. So I picked it up and started reading it. Well, uh, it's a beautiful history of the people called Baptists and of those that were like us back throughout church history that believe the same things we believe and practice the way, especially about baptism, practice the way we practice. But it also, uh, a lot of this book reads kind of like Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, he has long listings of, uh, of our forefathers throughout history that died for their faith uh, sadly, at the hands of unbelievers, at the hands of the Roman Catholic Church, and many more than you think at the hands of our Protestant brothers, those who knew Christ as Savior but didn't like the fact that we rebaptized their people <laughs> when they came into our churches or when we, uh, though they were baptized as babies, we led them to the Lord and then we baptized them as adults. Many of our Baptist brothers went to death because of that. I'm going to read you one short story about such an uh, incident. This happened in Germany, the land of the Reformation, uh, in the 1500s, in the days of Luther. And these Baptist uh, brethren simply uh, wanted to baptize their converts, that's all. So, among many others, and throughout these pages, he's giving story after story after story. So it goes on because thousands upon thousands uh, did this. And the thing I want you to notice as I read this story is how these people put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as 
the victor in the end. You can do with me what you want, but in the end, he's my Savior and I'll be there with him. That's the point. That's why I'm reading this. But it's, here's an interesting story. I may read one more in my sermon next hour, but it'll only be a sh little short paragraph. This is a couple paragraphs. Thirteen brethren, oh, and by the way, this is in the Netherlands. I'm sorry, I said Germany. This is in the Netherlands, controlled by the, the uh, Lutheran church and so forth. In the Netherlands, thirteen brethren and sisters who were apprehended at Helloen on information given by a priest and committed to prison at Lille were shortly afterward all burnt alive all three separate times. Uh, John or Jan de Swart, his name is J-A-N, so I'll call him Jan, but he's the father. Jan de Swart, a minister. His wife and four sons were of the number. When Jan de Swart was apprehended, the two youngest sons were not at home, but came in during the time. As they were approaching the house, the neighbors warned them and told them who were in the house and that their father and mother were arrested. The one said to the other, let us not run away, but die with father and mother. Meanwhile, Jan de Swart was led out of the house, a prisoner, and seeing his sons said to them, children, will you go with me to the new Jerusalem? He's being led to his death and he knows it. He says to his children, will you go with me to the new Jerusalem? They said, yes, father, we will. And they were led captive with them. All these were conducted prisoners together to wrestle, and there strictly guarded in the castle. Jan was placed by himself in a dungeon called Paradise, and it was so small that he could not stand upright in it nor lie down full length. It happened one day that several brethren and sisters, moved by love and compassion, came from outside the town and stood over against the castle, calling out over the fornication and comforting the prisoners. Amongst them was a man named Herman, and being observed by one of the city officers who had gone out secretly, he also was apprehended. After ten days' imprisonment, Jan de Swart, his son Kloss, and four others were executed. And while going to the death, the clock struck, and Jan asked uh, what it was o'clock, and he was told four. On this he comforted himself, saying, by five o'clock we hope to be in our lodge of rest. A few days afterwards, uh, Clayskin, Jan de Swart's wife, with her three sons and Herman, the man who came to help them, were burnt alive. The remaining two suffered a year's imprisonment, and when they were uh, uh, released, they were cast alive into the fire and burnt to ashes. You read that, and I see the expressions on your face, the same as I had when I read it. And the book is full of those. Like, he, he, was, he came a little after... Uh, uh, Fox, John Fox, who wrote the Book of Martyrs. This is written in the 1800s. But uh, incident after incident, many of them in, in uh, Germany, in the land of the Reformation, many in Switzerland where they went, many in Netherlands, and many in merry old England in the times of uh, King James and King, Queen Elizabeth and 
uh, and their children and all of that. So it's, it's kind of a, a sad history. But the, the, the common thread throughout all of those stories that you read is, are those little statements like when he said, children, will you go with me to the new Jerusalem? What, what, what did he mean by that? Will you follow the Lord also, even if you die for him, and go on to live forever with him? And they said, sure, we will do that, you know. Or she said, as she was about to be, you know, or he said, what time is it, four o'clock? Well, by five o'clock, I'll be in the city of rest, you know. Well, that's the way we look at life and the way we have to look at, at life. Now, it isn't always that way with Christians everywhere, and all of us have lived a fairly comfortable life compared to these kinds of things. Uh, I, I'm going to read in, my, in the next hour a Baptist hymn, a song out of a Baptist hymnal. You won't believe what they had to sing about in those days. It's kind of incredible. But the comfort was that Jesus Christ is the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning, but he's the end of it all, and we place our comfort in him. So in the end, folks, we win. And even in death, even if they put us to death, if we happen to live in such a time and place, we win. We, we don't cease to exist. We don't all of a sudden are separated from life. We have life eternal if we die. And uh, after the earth is gone and everything is burnt up and there's no more heaven and earth, guess what? We win. We, we are there with him. And, and even uh, when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we still win. It goes on forever even after that. That's the point I want to make. You know, we can picture a certain amount of time because we live in time. Uh, so you can see your own lifetime. You can think back almost to the beginning anyway, and uh, you can see the end coming. I'm speaking to an adult class, so some of you, you know, we're, we're all uh, closer to that end than we are to the beginning, right? We're closer to, to the omega than we are to the alpha. Uh, yesterday, next week, my older brother and his wife, Don and Joyce, are going to be with us in church. They're coming out to, they're going to be with us over the weekend. And I don't know if you met my older brother, Don. Uh, I'll spare you a lot about him, but, you know, he, uh, he'll be here. And uh, yesterday was their 50th wedding anniversary, yesterday. And I can remember it. I remember I was 16 and uh, had just started driving. And I, I was in the wedding. I don't know if I was the best. Maybe I was the best man. I'll have to ask him. I forget. Uh, but I even remember the, it was Harold Rawlings that did the, uh, the, the uh, service. And I remember, the thing I remember about it is that I had a 1950 Plymouth that I called the Mayflower. And, and it was a great old car. It had no brakes, and you could see the road going by underneath you. But, it, but I was proud of it. <laughs> and I drove it to the wedding. <laughs> you know, so you remember things, don't you, of t some time ago. And uh, so 50 years, boy, it seems like a long time, doesn't it? Uh, remember that the psalmist told us that the days of our years are threescore years and ten. If, they, if our days be 80, fourscore years... Uh, even their years are filled with trouble <laughs> and sorrow. But we can remember that long. As a matter of fact, we kind of have a concept of the world history 
only because we learn about it. So we can read Genesis and our mind can somehow go back to when it started. And Jesus say, says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. And so you and I can go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We can read about the beginning and how it happened and how God created things. And then we can go to Revelation 22 and we can picture the end of it all. And when the heaven and the earth is remade into a new heaven, a new earth, and there's a new Jerusalem. Okay, we have kind of bookends on that, right? We can, we can picture that. But I don't know how to picture Jesus being the Alpha and Omega in eternity. <laughs> because eternity has no beginning and ending, right? So, and yet, he and the Father have existed like this forever, and so there, my mind loses it. Maybe yours is better and you can go, but I can't picture a beginning and an ending in eternity. And yet Jesus is the beginning and the ending. No matter how far you go back this way or how far forward you go this way, there he is in control and the victor of everything. So when you think about it, we have quite a, a blessing. Now, I, I just want to go over two thoughts then in this lesson as we end up. First is that the idea of the amen at the end of verse 6 uh, and the end of verse 7. And by the way, if you go clear to the end of the book in chapter 22, he's going to end the whole book by saying, he which testifieth these things saith, red letters, surely I come quickly. And then in black letters, John says, amen, even so, Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The last word in the Bible. Amen. This is the end. Now, interestingly, when John writes here in these two verses and says, uh, even so, he's writing in Greek. You know how the New Testament is written in Greek, and that's what they were speaking in those days. That's what the world basically spoke in. But the word amen is a Hebrew word. And we, we have it throughout the Old Testament. So they just carried that over. Uh, and, and in Hebrew, it, it kind of means, so be it. Let it be that way. Let it be so. And they would say, amen. So they just write that in Greek letters. But actually, that was an old Hebrew expression. Uh, so even so is in Greek, but amen is that way. Let me read you two things. One, Joseph Seiss, uh, an old commentator, I love to read him uh, again from 100 years ago or so, but in his commentary on, on Revelation, he says this, Some take this as the seal and ratification of the solemn truths which have just been uttered. If this be the true meaning, what particular stress is to be laid upon these things? How sure to come to pass, how unmistakably certain. When John says, even so, amen. Henry Morris, in his book on, uh, on Revelation, says, Here, John, again, recalls the prophecy, as well as those made by the Lord on Olivet, recognizing that he is now about to witness in vision their final accomplishment. And then a great amen issues from his heart and from his pen. And so he does that. Also, again, at the end of the book. So, Jesus is called the Amen because he is the immortal and the eternal God. Again, you figure that out. But uh, if he says, I'm the beginning and the ending, I'm Alpha and Omega, nothing is before it and nothing is after it, he is saying his, he is eternal. Is God eternal? Yes. Is anything else eternal? No. 
only God is eternal. And so Jesus Christ, by saying, I am Alpha and Omega, of course, is saying, I am God, even though we understand God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So uh, when we're done uh, with it all, someday when we're in the New Jerusalem, we can say amen, uh, and he will still be there and be beyond that. Now, by the way, in our prayers, we end our prayers, right, by saying, in Jesus' name, amen, right? And that's, that's a good way to end our prayers. First of all, we say, in Jesus' name, not because there's something magical about saying those words in English, uh, but rather by the recognition that we could not come to God at all if it were not for Jesus Christ. We would have no access to God if it were not through Jesus Christ. So I had someone ask me just last week, not someone in our church, but somebody asked me, uh, when you pray, if you don't say in Jesus' name, is your prayer heard? But he was asking more in the sense, you, you bet those, those sounds better come from your lips or God doesn't answer your prayer. And my answer to him was, basically what I'm saying now. It's not so much that, but it's the understanding that if you have refused his son, Jesus Christ, and refused the redemption that is through his blood, then you don't know God as your father, and you don't have access to him. You have to come through Jesus Christ. And so we recognize what privilege we have in prayer, and we say, in Jesus' name. I think it's good to say so. I think it's good to end our prayers with those words. But I'm just saying, if you didn't one time, it's not that, uh-oh, that prayer won't be heard. I better go back and redo it. And then we say, amen. We say, so be it. Let it be so. I'm putting it in your hands. Whatever, God, you do with it is uh, your will, and I'm good with that. Okay? So first of all, amen. But more than that, I want to talk about the word omega. We find that again in verse 8 and verse uh, 11. He says, I'm Alpha and Omega. Again, the first words that John hears while he's standing on the Isle of Patmos. We could say, I am the A and Z. You understand that, right? Alpha is the first letter and uh, Omega uh, is the last letter. We have a Z instead of an Omega. Uh, we call the uh, 26 letters that we have the what alphabet because uh in greek the first two letters are alpha beta and so we shorten the beta and we say alphabet the abc you know we we kind of sometimes say our abcs so the alphabet is made up of these now they had uh 24 letters in greek only 22 in Hebrew, we have 26 in English, and any other language has whatever number of letters they have. And everything that we do is made up of those. Listen to, uh, 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 this is John MacArthur, and I thought he made a good statement. He says, Alpha and Omega emphasizes God's omniscience. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and Omega is the last. Then he says, all knowledge is conveyed through the letters of the alphabet. Thus, God's designation of himself as the Alpha and Omega affirms that he has all knowledge. He knows, therefore, the certainty of this promise. 
And he says later on, Christ is the supreme sovereign alphabet. I kind of like that when Jesus says, I'm Alpha and Omega. He's the supreme sovereign alphabet. Well, think about it for a minute. I think I've, I've made this point often before. But uh, when you look at your Bible, you, most of you have a Bible open or, or any book, you are looking at 26 I'm speaking English now, 26 letters rearranged in various different ways, right? When you look down at that page, you only have 26 little things. That's all you have. Maybe a space, too, if you want to count space. But uh, you arrange those 26 little squiggly things in different orders to get different words. So everything that is written in our history if it's written in English, it was with 26 of those. If it was, if it was in uh, Greek, it was 24 of those, and whatever other language has letters. Not only that, but as I'm, as I'm speaking to you, I'm doing the same thing. So when we were little children and could not yet speak in sentences, uh, we didn't make much sense just going, wah, <laughs> Although sometimes to a little one it makes sense, but to the rest of us it doesn't make any sense. Wah! You know, my little grandson Isaiah points at something and says, Wah! <laughs> you remember uh, Gabriel saying, Daddy, does Isaiah have a brain? You know, and, and yes, he has a brain. Well, then why doesn't it work? <laughs> you know, why don't you use it? Well, um, so what we did was we learned how to pronounce things. And all we did was take our 26 letters and learn the sounds. Oh, this one means ah. The B, you say b, you know. The, the C, you go k, like in cat, right? And we learn them, phonics. So we begin to learn those sounds so that we can rearrange those sounds into audible words. And the reason why a child begins speaking is that he's arranged the 26 letters and the sounds into things. So all I'm doing right now is just a little faster and a little easier saying those sounds arranged in certain ways so that information flows from me to you. At least I hope it is uh, flowing that way. As a matter of fact, when you, if you think about it, you think in English, right? How many of you are bilingual? My wife was at one time in her life, you know, her family is. And I, I'm told by people who are certainly bilingual that they, they think in one language or the other. And sometimes, you know, if, uh, if they learned a native language, they go to another country, they learn the new language, and though they have to speak in it, when they think, they think in the old language, right? Uh, so I, I've, heard, I've heard speakers say, it gets tough because I'm thinking in that old language, but I have to be speaking in this language, and then I come to a word, and in my mind I'm thinking that word, but if I say it, you won't understand it. And I have to search real quick for what is the English equivalent to that, right? You know, you've heard somebody talk like that. Missionaries do that, of course, often. But, but you even think with the 24 letters. So 
Uh, what MacArthur is saying is by Jesus saying, I am Alpha and Omega, I'm all knowledge. I'm everything you can think. I'm every, th every thought you can come up with, every word that's ever been invented, every piece of knowledge that's ever been written down. I am it all. I am Alpha and Omega. There's another old writer, Walter Scott, not Sir Walter Scott, and there are other Walter Scotts, but this guy was a good premillennialist uh, who, who wrote back in the, in the days of Schofield and, and so forth. He said, in this respect, he is the alpha, but he is also the end. His glory is the goal. Everything finds its answer in him. Of course, our testing Testings lie between these points, God the Alpha and God the Omega. To him as the end, all gravitates. On our hands, the threads are broken, but in his hands, they have never been rent. In the midst of failed and failing circumstances, the church ecclesiastically, a ruin amidst the wrecked, uh, wrecked testimony of the ages, God's voice is heard above the din and strife. The beginning of all testimony is in God, and the end, too, centers in Him. In Him, as the Omega, is finished what as the Alpha He began. So He's going to finish all of this. Now, you remember um, when Moses went to the desert and tending his sheep, he found himself on Mount Horeb on the backside of the desert, and the burning bush was there. And he begins to talk with, with the Lord, and we learned in our last lesson about Yahweh that this is the angel of the Lord, or Jesus himself, in an Old Testament appearance. And uh, Moses said, well, what is your name? If I'm going to go back to, to Egypt and bring people out, I've got to say, who sent me? And he said what in Exodus 3.14? I am that I am. And so... He is saying the same thing. I am Alpha and Omega. I am. Always was, always will be. And so the way you pronounce I am in Hebrew is to say Yahweh. I am Yahweh. Well, Yahweh is the pronunciation of I am. Uh, we have it sometimes translated into English as Jehovah. And then we have it translated in our Bible as Lord. So when we say the Lord Jesus Christ, we are really truly saying Yahweh, Jehovah, Jesus Christ. Uh, that's why I object to our friends, the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, claiming that they are witnesses for Jehovah when they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. <laughs> How can you be Jehovah's Witness? How can you be Jesus's witness and deny who he is? He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last, the I am that I am and always has been. Now, quickly then, uh, we, we'll wrap up verse 8 with a couple more statements here about the Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending is kind of a restatement. As a matter of fact, uh, there are some manuscripts that don't even have that little sentence in it, but uh, I'll take it for what it is. Uh, he's restating it in a way we maybe can understand it even more. I am Alpha and Omega. That means I'm the beginning and the ending. And again, we can go back to the beginning. I can go back to Genesis 1 and I can read it and understand it and see 
Jesus Christ as the creator. God uh, uh, is the creator, but did it through the person of Jesus Christ. And I can go to the end of it and find him there uh, in eternity future in the New Jerusalem as the light that lightens the city. So he's the beginning and the ending. Hold your place there and go back to your left to the end of Hebrews. won't be but a few pages uh, back. Hebrews 13. And remember... Uh, Remember that in Hebrews 13, there are three times where the writer says, remember them that have the rule over you, verse 7, verse 17, and, and uh, then in uh, verse uh, 24, remember them that have the rule over you. But look at the first one, verse 7. Remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, and why would you do that? considering the end of their conversation. I'm the beginning and the ending. If I, have, if I have any authority as a pastor to speak, it is only if I'm speaking with the authority of Jesus Christ. I don't have a right to make up my own theology. I don't have a right to make up my own words. I'm supposed to be preaching what the Lord has said. And so, kind of like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, right? So here he's saying, consider the end of their conversation. And then, in the next phrase, what is the end of their conversation? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, keeping, your, keeping that as a thought, back in Revelation 1 and, and verse 8, notice that then he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which what? Which is, which was, and which is to come. Interestingly, that back in verse 4, that was said of God the Father also. From him which is, which was, which is to come. So that is said of God the Father, and that is said of Jesus Christ. Guess what? They must both be God. They must both be equal. Okay? So if that is true, that he is, the, which is, which was, which is to come, it means that Jesus Christ existed in the past, present, and future, right? Or as Hebrews 13.8 says, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's the end of our conversation. Who is the end of our, con the, the amen or the omega of our conversation? The one that is, which was, and which is to come. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And then one last statement he makes here in Revelation 1.8, that he is the Almighty. The Almighty. The Pantocrator. The Pantocrator. The All-Powerful. Uh, the C-R-A-T means power. So if you are a Democrat, then you come forward at invitation. No, I'm sorry. If you are a Democrat, you believe in the power of the people, 
Demos is the people, Democrat, is supposed to be someone who, who lives by the power of the people. In other words, the vote and uh, the will of the people. So a Democrat lives by the power of the people, but a Pantocrat, pan means everything. Pan means all. Pantheism is everything is God. So P-A-N, pan, means all. So a pantocrat is one who is, whose power comes from everything. He is almighty. He is the all-powerful. Now that description is, is, uh, reappears uh, eight more times, nine times total in the book of Revelation, where, it's, where Jesus Christ, or God, is called the Almighty. So, quite a name. Okay, let me bring, bring us to the end with, with two things here. First of all, John Walvoord, in his commentary, said about these verses, right down from, from verse 1 through, uh, through verse 8, he said, If no more had been written than that contained in this introductory portion of chapter 1, it would have constituted a tremendous restatement of the person and work of Christ, such as found in no comparable section of Scripture. What is said right here would exalt him above anything and everyone else. He is the Almighty. And then I'm going to end with a quick, with a quick uh, story from old John Phillips in his commentary that... Uh, about a historical person called Richard the Lionhearted. I kind of like it because my name's Rick, but it's not Richard, but, uh, you know, everybody's name has a meaning, you know. Anyway, he says this. He says, one of the most stirring pages in English history tells of the conquests and crusades of Richard I the Lionhearted, 1157 to 1199. That's when he lived. While Richard was away trouncing Saladin, his kingdom fell on bad times. His sly and graceless brother John usurped all the prerogatives of the king and misruled the realm. The people of England suffered, longing for the return of the king, praying that it might be so. Then one day Richard came. He landed in England and marched straight for his throne. Around that glittering coming, many tales are told, woven into the legends of England. One of them is about Robin Hood. John's castles trumpled like ninepins. Great Richard laid claim to his throne, and none dared stand in his path. The people shouted their delight. They rang peal after peal on the bells. The lion was back, long live the king. Well, then Phillips ends his, his little uh, description by saying, One day... A king greater than Richard will lay claim to a realm greater than England. And those who have abused the earth in his absence, seized his domains, and mismanaged his world will all be swept away as he reigns forever and ever. And so the king is coming because why? He is Alpha and Omega. Uh, nothing else will end without him ending in victory. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us of this description of our Lord, the Alpha and Omega, uh, of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that has no beginning and no ending. And we are, we are comforted in that. We are secure in that. Our salvation is secure because of that. 
And so, Father, thank you for that and cause us then, whatever comes our way and whatever we uh, face in this world, we do it with strength and courage and also great assurance that whether in this life or the next, uh, we live forever with you. We'll thank you for that and all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you for being here this morning.